0: getting back to flying internationally, as we move cautiously toward a post-COVID world. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news. Business aviation flight operations are continuing to rebound after cutting back on their flying drastically last year as COVID-19 took hold across our world. That includes international travel. And while the frequency of such trips hasn't come close yet to matching pre-2020 levels, it stands to reason that as more people receive vaccinations and the closer we all get toward normal, more people will again want to travel to conduct business overseas. So how should flight departments prepare to resume such trips in the present environment? To answer that question, today I'm joined by Honeywell Chief Pilot John Tootin, along with Steve Thorpe, Senior Captain and Director of Standards and Training for Merck, and Sean Scott, founder of international procedures training firm Scott IPC. Sean, certainly one factor that's different about performing an international trip right now is the need to ensure passengers comply with all COVID-19 testing requirements. In most cases, that involves proof of a recent polymerase chain reaction or PCR test. But what are some additional steps operators need to consider?
1: Well, I think the biggest impact that we've seen is when folks come back to training is they uh, they really disengaged from the procedures that are in place. And because of that, I think they backed off the data link requirement for a while during COVID. And so folks could really do anything they wanted out there. There There's very little traffic in the North Atlantic, so they really weren't restricted in their operations. But now when things start coming back alive, we're finding that uh, a lot of folks are experiencing errors that uh, maybe they wouldn't have in the past uh, because they think they can get away with things when they really can't. And, And I don't mean that purposely trying to get away with things, just realizing that the structure is a little bit different than we had in the past. For example, in 2020, when there was very little COVID flying happening, there were still 145 uh, occurrences in the North Atlantic with very little traffic. You know, sometimes we had one, maybe two tracks each direction, but yet we still had that number of errors in the airspace. So I think the biggest thing is people need to get back into their SOPs with the changes that are forthcoming, they definitely need to be on top of what's what's going on.
0: I'd imagine that's a huge challenge right now, making sure that flight crews haven't grown complacent in their knowledge and skills after being grounded for several months. Steve, how has your flight operation worked to help your pilots keep
2: their heads in the game? We did probably 26 to 30 international trips a year prior to, to 2020. And so we were um, pretty used to, to uh, getting in the ship and taking off to the far, far-flung far reaches of the world, so much so that a trip to London, you could plan it probably in a few hours and execute it almost with the same ease uh, that you would a trip to LA, a cross-country trip. But we realized c- certainly that the skills were going to atrophy. So what we started to do, probably starting in early summer, was to uh, have some faux trips planned. We ginned up a couple trips to France over the about two or three months, went through the channels as to what was going to be required diplomatically to be able to allow our passengers to go into, say, a a COVID-related meeting or to get our our technicians to uh, Marseille to do some training. And then we started looking at the COVID restrictions and just how are we going to support Maybe passengers, but certainly crew as well in whatever uh, country that we were going to fly to. And then we would plan this with our international trip service provider to the point of doing a pre-trip briefing one or two days before the trip actually leaves. We get everybody on a phone con um, that's involved in the trip, the the crew, our scheduler, our maintenance staff, and maybe a technician if, if we're carrying a technician on that trip and um, our international trip service provider and go over the trip and say, all right, here's what we have, is our, is our information, match your information. So we do that for every international trip. And so we would even do that to see what we might have forgotten. So a lot of that stuff, just reviewing that, really it paid off for us when we actually did have to fly a trip. And don't get me wrong, we still you still forget things, but doing the actual, what a lot of people call chair flying, really paid dividends for us.
0: John, as we're speaking today, your operation is flying an international trip that also includes a tech stop in Europe, a region with several restrictions against travel from other countries, including the U.S. What can you tell us about that experience so far?
3: So we have several international trips we're planning at the moment to Europe and points beyond, uh, including the one you just mentioned with a tech stop in Europe. Really, the biggest issue we're being presented with at the moment is complying with all of the different countries. covid Uh, demands. Most all require PCR tests before entry. And there's varying windows of acceptability, 48 hours, 72 hours, uh, and also varying rules for passengers and crew. In some cases, uh, crew are exempt. In some cases, they're not. Passengers are almost always required to test unless they meet certain nationality requirements. So really the complexity involved with that. On two fronts, first of all, a trip where that we have coming up in a few weeks, that's going to go just bounce around Europe. You know, part of the the big picture is trying to time or arrange the stops so that we can go from country to country and enter a country that will allow you to enter from a previously friendly COVID-ruled country. So the order in which you fly the trip has become very important uh, to be able to operate it efficiently. And then in the case of the international trip that's going to the Far East uh, through Europe, being able to airline a crew over, the technicality is are they crew when they're airlining? Uh, are they coming in as passengers and then going out as crew, uh, again, all pertaining to COVID rules and regulations? And then, uh, you know, a few of the, the other general issues we encounter, such as overflights, you know, the world changes every several months, it seems. So, you know, a country we would have previously overflown, we can't overfly anymore. So uh, flight routings become more complicated when trying to operate through some less than friendly airspace. So those are really the big
0: challenges. We'll have more with our guests in just a moment. But first, this word from NBAA.
2: NBAA Flight Plan listeners, you get your weekly news here. Are you getting the latest daily headlines? The NBAA Insider Daily News Service puts the news you need in your hands every weekday morning, free of charge. Don't miss out. Subscribe today at NBAA.org slash daily.
0: We're back now with John Tooten, Steve Thorpe, and Sean Scott, and our discussion about tips for operators looking to resume international travel with greater frequency as we move to what's hopefully a post-COVID environment. John, where else has your operation flown to over the past few months? We've done some Canada and Mexico. I can say on the last Canada trip six months ago,
3: there was quite a bit of question as to what the requirements would be to enter Canada. And so we, we did a lot of jumping through hoops, talking to Canada Border Services to confirm what was actually needed. And, and, and in the end, it was just a letter detailing everybody's uh, essentialness as a passenger. So, And that letter had to come from the host company that was inviting us into Canada. But as is typical of a lot of government uh, agencies, you know, we, we would call one person and we told, oh, you absolutely have to have this letter. Uh, we would get the letter, we would call back and they'd be like, oh, well, sure, I'm glad you have the letter, but you don't really need it. Um, so that could be frustrating, uh, but it ended up working out quite well. We we came in; they did take our letter indicating everybody's essentialness. Uh, and one thing we elected to do was overnight, uh, instead of overnighting in Canada, which would have presented more issues. We, we flew into Canada. They had meetings all day, and we immediately flew back out to um, the closest U.S. stop, which happened to be in Montana, and everybody, including the passengers, overnighted in Montana to get rest, and then we flew home the next day. So that was kind of an example of uh, of flexing. And then to to follow on with what Steve has said, we do find ourselves adding extra crew members, adding a third pilot, um, even though not required by our our flight and duty time uh, regulations. We're adding them just as a precaution. Um, A, because we have the personnel at the moment and they're not super busy. Uh, And B, uh, just having that contingency in case you do need to go further or somebody does get sick, just having that little extra help there could be crucial.
0: Steve, you flew a mission last year about a month into the COVID situation that required some quick thinking while the trip was underway. Could you tell us about that and how those challenges were resolved?
2: Yeah, so our managing director in... um, China had been separated from his family as the COVID uh, situation took root there in China. And we were tasked with repatriating his family back to as close to China as we could. So we did. And and this was pre-COVID. This is the middle of March. This was going to be our fourth or fifth international trip already of the year. So we were used to the international ops part. But we were going to initially do a overnight tech stop, which was unusual for us. Usually we're swapping crew, but we thought for risk mitigation, the airlines were already kind of a little susceptible to uh, COVID. So we decided not to send crew up ahead of time. And we talked to the family and they were amenable to staying overnight. So we that was a little different for us. So we kind of had, had to watch out for that. And then as I was preparing to hit the sack up in uh, Anchorage, I got a call from our international trip service provider, and I had been keeping track of the Taiwanese situation, which if you ever do go to Taiwan, they got a fantastic, their CDC keeps a fantastic website that has all the information you'd ever need for if you can get in, how you can get in, what the requirements are. Long story short, Taiwan had closed down. So in that span of uh, six or seven hours, we went from taking this family to Taiwan to where are we going to go? and that's where another kind of risk mitigation thought that we had had even though we were going to be overnight and we could probably do this with two pilots we took a third pilot just in case and it paid dividends here because instead of going to bed and just saying okay our scheduler uh, international trip service provider handle it i'm going to be able to stay up i quick sent a message to the crew saying Make sure you get rest, you two are gonna be flying the first leg and I'm gonna be resting. So I took two hours and we worked through the alternate plan, which was to uh, take them to Narita and they could get on an airliner. So that whole process kind of gave us an inkling as to what the next year was going to be like. As we uh, got to Anchorage, the restaurants had closed down, so we had to get room service. We got to Tokyo everybody else was wearing masks we really haven't gotten to the uh, the Americans to start wearing masks yet but we were able to eat in the restaurant so um, all that kind of uh, changed last minute but I think that that goes to show that if you've got a process in place that you can take a look at fatigue or crew staffing or anything else that that might pop its head up you think it's just an exercise you go through, but it really does pay dividends or can pay dividends for sure. Even as
0: COVID has dominated trip planning considerations, there has been another key development on the international scene with the formal implementation of Brexit. Has your flight operation
2: encountered any challenges from that, Steve? Only in planning, Rob. It's a bit of a unknown right now. and I don't think we're, we're alone in that. There's some great resources with MBAA. I'm the uh, European... Um, lead for the International Operators Committee, but my co-lead, Terry Omens in uh, in the UK, has been keeping up on this. And if you think the changes in COVID are, are challenging, you ought to try and keep up with the changes in Brexit, from what he's explained to me, and the relationship between Brexit and the EU. I think it'll be pretty straightforward. If all you're doing is flying from the US to the UK and, uh, and back, it's now when you're going to continue on, as most trips to the UK do, either come to uh, continue on to an EU country or from a EU country into the UK. We're waiting to see because, number one, the requirements have been, if they're written, they're, they're kind of in rubber putty. But even if they're written, there hasn't been any traffic really to test it out to see. So as things open up, it'll be interesting to see how the regulations that the regulators have thought of how they happen, how they actually get put forth in practice. Because we all know, and we experienced this, even in international ops, they, They've, for example, a recent change to the contingency procedure has us kind of changing the way we treat emergencies in oceanic airspace. And now they're doing experiments with no tracks, which is fine for low traffic. And I agree that it's a, a great way to test things out, but... Are the the regulators, when they turn into implementers, are they actually taking what the flight crews are going to have to be doing into account with this reduced separation and crossing tracks? It presents, once reality hits, some unintended consequences, perhaps.
0: Sean, what kind of guidance are you providing to your clients about Brexit?
1: About every four hours, make a phone call. (laughs) As simple as that sounds, that's the solution as Steve alluded to, you know, have a backup plan ready to go in case the information you were given is not accepted when you arrive or en route if you have communications back. That's all we can really do is just stay ahead of the aircraft for the operations and the planning and have a backup plan that you may have to execute.
2: I'll pile on that too. In this, some areas of the world where it was standard to have three or four backup plans, and Africa is one of those places. I think John will agree if if you're flying to Africa, you want to have outs. You want to maybe land with enough fuel to get get out of there. If you're in a landing in a place that might not be security-wise, what your, your security people like. But if you make those plans in any case and then throw in the, the COVID stuff, in our recent trip we had to uh, Guinea, we had bailout before landing. We had bailout after landing. We had lots of different scenarios that we had kind of plotted out. And and you can only plan so much, but you want to have some options in your back pocket. And that's where, like John and I have said, throwing an extra crew member, even though it might might only be eight or nine hour legs, has been good for us uh, in being able to be flexible. So all that planning really comes into play, but just like I think a famous general once said that... The best laid plans only survive first contact with the enemy. So you got to uh, have some options in your back pocket, but then uh, be able to um, put those options forward if you need them.
0: That's great advice, Steve. Sean, what other tips would you have for international operators in the current environment?
2: Well,
1: I would like to reemphasize the the crossing portion with the changes. Steve alluded to the, the nil tracks. In other words, they're not gonna be implementing tracks on certain days. And that's just based on the density of flight traffic for that day or 12 hours prior, based on preferred route messages, commercial operators send forward to say, we're gonna send so many aircraft and here's where we wanna operate. So if that message indicates there's very little traffic, then they're experimenting, like Steve said, with just eliminating the track. That's problematic for operators for a couple of reasons. One. The tracks are a beautiful thing. You know why? And even if you're not flying on them, because I know where people are. And so I think we're gonna end up with people because the tracks aren't published. We don't know what airspace to avoid necessarily, but it may change the altitudes and people are gonna have to make some decisions and we'll see how it all shakes out coming forward. But that's why I alluded to earlier that people are being able to do things they would not normally be able to get away with in the North Atlantic as far as routings and altitudes and, and getting to your final altitude. Uh, things of that sort. And I think that's changing as as we go forward because there's more traffic daily that are crossing.
3: John? First, I would say plan. Plan, plan, plan early and often. Look at every scenario and really spend the time to work through all of the details that are involved with a trip, uh, whether you do it in-house or have a an external uh, trip planning company. That's what's going to be the base of your operation while you're doing it. Secondly, I'd like to say training. If you haven't crossed the Atlantic in a year plus or two years, I can tell you, as can Steve and Sean, that it's not the same airspace it was. So get some training. Companies like Sean's do an excellent job of prepping you for what you'll expect in the North Atlantic. So make sure you're trained up. Make sure you're planned up. And lastly, be flexible. You have to be flexible, especially in today's environment. Like Steve's comment, uh, you know, no plan survives first contact. That is the absolute truth, and you have to be
1: flexible.
0: This situation will certainly evolve as we progress through 2021. Operators are encouraged to consult NBAA's COVID-19 resource for information specifically related to the virus's effects on international operations. That's at NBAA.org forward slash coronavirus. And for the latest information on other factors affecting international business aviation flights, visit NBAA.org forward slash INTL. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking Alexa or another connected device, or download them from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan.